listening to the Kicking and Screaming podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Vanessa Guerrero. I'm your other host, Elijah Taylor. Uh, And joining us today is someone I have been so psyched to have on. I've missed her like crazy through all of quarantine, one of my favorite people in the universe. Uh, If you follow her on Twitter, every single one is a banger. Uh, (laughs) And you can also read The Good Immigrant USA on Audible. It is Danny Fernandez. That's me. I'm here. I'm here. You said you can read it on Audible, but listen, you don't, you can listen. You can also listen listen to it. You can physically read it. You can physically own The Good Immigrant USA. It's a collection of essays from Mm -hmm. actors and writers of color. Um, There's a UK edition that Riz Ahmed wrote in, highly recommend, and Coco Khan. And and we did the USA edition. I was asked to be in it. And uh, but if you're like me, I like listening to books. It count. <laughs> I feel like it counts. It absolutely counts. I uh, counts. that's what I do. Like in my apartment when I'm cleaning or walking or whatever. Like I've I've listened to I think like 72 books, and I personally think they count. Plus, it's by the author. So like when I was yeah. listening to Michelle Obama's Becoming, I think it counts extra because she read it. So it's like almost they- reading twice. And they read it in like it's it's double reading. It's double reading. (laughs) (laughs) You heard it here, folks. Audiobooks are reading squared. Yeah. (laughs) No. Yes. I like cannot stand the like, oh, audiobooks aren't reading discourse. It's always from people where it's like, oh, it has to be a hardcover and like candlelit moonlight. It's You're you're consuming the same information. You're still gaining the same data. It, like it still counts i don't know and i feel like also that attitude is uh really uh shitty to ableist? people yeah like it, ableist. Has, it feels Thank a you. little yeah i don't i'm careful when i use that word because it gets used a lot about things that i think not aren't necessarily but um yeah i feel like it's i mean let people enjoy like our yeah. world is burning and if i am you know consuming Tina Fey's smarty pants or whatever while listening to her instead of reading it. Um, it's fine, people. Yeah. It's fine. I also highly recommend listening to Amy Poehler's Yes, Please because yes, on several yeah. different occasions she just like switches up a voice as her. So <laughs> she has like, I think it was like Patrick Stewart read the chapter on like puberty. <laughs> That's always fun. Uh, I yeah. listen to, I, I'm obsessed with my TV boyfriend, Tan France. I'm in love with Tan (laughs) France from Queer Eye. And he has one that's called Naturally Tan. And um, it talks about his upbringing, uh, which is really funny. Also, I wanted to listen to it because I was like, I need to be more like Tan. I need to be zen. And he just seems like the really, like, you know, he's not filled with drama and pettiness. Like, Mm -hmm. he's just very zen. When you listen to that book, he's petty AF. He's like, I remember the girl in eighth grade and look at me now. And I'm rich and famous and you're not. And I'm like, whoa, I had no idea, Tan. I Um, love it. I know. But I mean, he deserves it because I guess like, you know, people probably really not probably but did treat him really awful for being a brown kid and and the UK I think is where he he grew up and mm-hmm. um anyways so but I love it because he brought in Anthony like you know they'll have oh, people pop in from oh, their friends that. so in the audiobook you like randomly get a chapter with like one of the other guys so that's, That's so good. Cool. Now, speaking of letting people enjoy things, that is the heart of this podcast. Uh, every single double feature we've had is particularly just like gleeful and joy filled. But like, truly, Danny, what a treat you brought to our table because like it's been a minute since I've watched this and I was just beaming from ear to ear last night. So why don't you tell us uh, what you brought for our listeners this week? My feature presentation is. 
scream. Yes. Ah! <laughs> so quick backstory. Uh, there's a real accidental <laughs> who's on first when Danny initially picked this movie. Uh, <laughs> 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 I was dying. I think Elijah heard me scream in the other room. Um, so obviously the name of the podcast <laughs> is Kicking and Screaming. And we basically tell people pick a kick or a scream. And we we're like, Danny, what do you pick for your movie? And she's like, I pick scream. And I'm like, all right, just tell us what horror movie you pick. And she's like, I pick scream. She's like, I did. It was scream. I know. My, I was... my favorite. I, like, I, I didn't... didn't realize the mistake that was made at first. I was like, yeah, it's scream. The movie scream. She must have just not seen it in the email. And then Vanessa had to break down like, it's kick or scream. And I thought she was just picking scream. Hilarious. I also, you can't tell tone via text or email. So I hope it wasn't mm-hmm. rude. It was like, I just did. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was like, I know that exact tone because on several occasions, it's like the calm but gentle, like catching me up to speed mm-hmm. tone that like I miss from you so dearly where like something will just go whoosh over my head and you just have to like guide me to I'm like <laughs> what's a sister. actually happening. I'm like a big exactly. sister. Definitely. Uh, in many ways, uh, considering my mother constantly uses use an example for like <laughs> good hydration and nutrition, <laughs> where sorry. she's just like, "You should drink water like Danny does." <laughs> I love that I've infiltrated your family, and yeah. <laughs> um, once this COVID is over, I can go to family dinners. Oh, and definitely. Your, uh, uh, Vanessa's mom and I trade off like we barter things, and so <laughs> Vanessa's family has like a flat screen of mine and like drapes and like I love it because like she'll send it to the family group chat and everyone's just like city is so fancy uh, <laughs> and she very much like shares it like look what my other child got me yeah yeah I love it yes um no I, I just want to establish that uh having uh th- this is the first time we have interacted I've heard so much about you from my lovely wife uh, but having not met you previously, I read the email uh, very much in the tone that you hoped that it wouldn't be read. I was like, oh, she's so mad. Oh, my God. She's, she's not even going to be on the podcast now. She is. She's fucking living. Because your baseline is anxiety. That's true. That's true. I feel that's true. Also, I'm a Gemini and I have to remember to pull it back because I, I very clearly have two sides for everyone that knows mm-hmm. me. And I definitely do have claws. But I think I mean it just in more like. Vanessa knows me. I'm just such a, I have OCD. I'm like a perfectionist. And so I'm also like hustle a lot. And it's like, I don't have time. Not like with that email, but just in general. It's like, right, right. I don't have time. I have, I, have, I feel like uh, the little white rabbit. Yes. <laughs> I'm like, I'm, there's no time. I have no time. I have to do this. Just give me, just like, tell me what I need to do. You do mm. your job. I'll do my job, you know? And just like every, every little thing in this industry is like waiting to give me a heart attack. So, but then other in, times. In fact, for our listeners, uh, Danny actually pre-recorded her portion of the podcast because she didn't have time to do it live. So we're just trying to reply to whatever she pre-recorded. Wouldn't that be crazy? Anyways, uh, I'm working on letting go. Y'all, I'm working on letting go. Elijah and I are both Pisces, so we're just like big squishy fishes that are constantly mm-hmm. just like, everyone is mad at me! <laughs> so um, funny. No, like, upon re-watching Scream last night, I've always loved it and I've always like, highly considered it a masterpiece but like i didn't sit and really think about how much of an insane feat it is to subvert yourself mm. uh 
like, tell us a little bit why you picked Scream. Oh my gosh, Scream, uh, directed by Wes Craven, who is iconic, um, and such a horror daddy, I would say, like, just, you know, there's, there's directors and people that just have made iconic, uh, films in this genre that just stay forever, that just stay as, and, and really affect, you know, other films. Mm -hmm. And so one of my Scream tackles all of these horror tropes and it does so in such an intelligent way that they make fun of it obviously with Jamie Kennedy's mm-hmm. character of making fun of a lot of the tropes <laughs> I also love how they say is it they call it jo- uh, Wes Carpenter they they're like Carpenter movie yeah, yeah. and John Carpenter and Wes Craven you know like referencing each other in, in each other's movies and films and I love that um, but it's just it's just such an easy way to hop into horror. It's actually mm-hmm. one of the ones that I recommend to most people who say that they are afraid of scary movies because this to me is almost, it's horror and thriller adjacent, I would say, that it's not necessarily like ghosts and, and you know, it's very gory, but mm-hmm. it's more, I feel like it's a more tangible like entry point for horror, but still has all of the horror tropes, still has, you know, a lot of, especially the opening scene with Drew Barrymore is so traumatizing. Um, not yes. only is it iconic and it's referenced in so many other uh, shows and films, but it's also somebody's guts, you know, are spilled out. But it just is having the babysitter, you know, like that type of trope. Or I guess she's not a babysitter, I think. But anyways, having that trope, having the high school kids, having the nerdy kid and Jamie Kennedy, mm-hmm. having the sexy, you know, um, Johnny Depp-esque character is actually what he was supposed to be, um, you know, referencing from Nightmare on Elm Street. So, I mean, there's just so much. But I think for me overall is that it just tickles all of the necessary scary movie element. I mean, literally spawned the scary movie franchise. <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I just, I, it knows what it's doing. It's very aware mm-hmm. of how horror movies are made and the tropes and things that people make fun of. But that's what we love, I feel, about horror is actually we love a lot of those tropes. And, and I honestly think that sometimes horror can be comforting because you know, like, yeah, you might not know exactly what's going to happen, who's going to die, what's scare, but like you're familiar with some of this. And so that's why I think it it is a classic. Yeah. I think that's why I personally, like I love horror movies, but I, I have such a strong affinity for slashers because the slasher formula yeah. is so innately comforting. It's so like, I know what's happening and I have like a grasp of the situation uh, versus like other horror movies where like, I'm still scared, but also I, they're they're a little bit more like dread based and 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 arty in a way where I don't have that comfort of like all right well now that this happened I know what the next step is mm-hmm. right right um, and even like down to the character archetypes mm-hmm. of like oh yeah here's my familiar like jock who's you know probably yes. gonna be a jerk to the other kids right. so like you know here's the funny one yeah. and like you know like the the Matthew Lillard character being like the very like kind of bro that's clowning on everyone and you're just like yeah that's familiar like I know these characters even if it's like your first time seeing this particular slasher flick you're like oh yeah this is like this archetype that brings me comfort it's like meeting old friends I don't know also uh goddamn Matthew Lillard 
is such a treasure, both in like this movie and also just everything that he does. The whole time we just kept talking about how much uh, he's associated with just like fond projects. Even, mm-hmm. Hell, even, I will even give the Scooby Doo movie its just due. <laughs> <laughs> but like, one of the things that I really loved about the reason why you picked this is because we've been doing a lot of slashers this year, and it's such an insane feat to create the industry standard and then subvert the industry standard right. because it means you have to be self-aware of mm-hmm. like the tropes you created, your criticism, your praise, like what your peers have done and like wh- how modern audiences view you from like a writing standpoint. That's incredible. Yeah. And also like, I, <laughs> I want to go back to the fact that this is kind of where this was also the era of the, um, I know what you did last summer and mm-hmm. like Freddie Prince Jr., Sarah Michelle Geller, like, all of the, you know, which was later parodied of having these adults playing teenagers. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. they feel so much older to us. You know, when we're growing up watching Scream or whatever, it's like, wow, they're so sexy in crop tops. And then, like, now that we're adults, it's like, oh, wow, they were, like, in their 20s. <laughs> you know, right. their mid-20s. I know. But Matthew I- Lillard, I actually tweeted uh, about this Halloween when I was re-watching Scream. And I think I said, like, you know, give it up for, like, the I, this iconic horror daddy. And I just think his performance, especially in the ending scene when they're stabbing each other, is just so yes. good for someone his age. Um, like, what, like, just the choices that he made throughout this entire film, you know, mm-hmm. as an actor. Like, he just made, no one else could have played that character. Like, it just wouldn't no. have felt the same. I, I love that performance because he is, especially on a rewatch, you know, after you, you know that he is one of the killers, like on a rewatch, especially his, he's so deranged and unhinged, but in a way that like, if you're another high school kid, you're like, ah, he's got a like dirtbag sense of humor or whatever, you know, like he's just annoying and we all put up with him, but like, you know, in like a kind of charming way. But when you watch it through the lens of like, oh yeah, ultimately he is one of these two psychopaths, like every choice that he makes of like slipping into weird voices and Mm -hmm. doing crazy eyes and being like a little too touchy with friends and like grabbing them casually in like kind of aggressive ways. It really sells this just like deranged personality that he has. And like you were talking about the scene at the end where uh, he and Billy are stabbing each other. That's one of like maybe two scenes in the film that are genuinely affecting to me as a piece of like horror, you mm-hmm. know, because a lot of, a lot of the kills are very goofy and I, I kind of love it because the eventual payoff that it's like two high school boys doing this. It makes mm-hmm. sense that they're like, they're clumsy. And when they try to kill somebody, they're mm-hmm. not this like intimidating force, you know, they're falling down. And they getting, get beat up a lot. They get beat up a lot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But like, so, so most of the kills are not super affecting, but like that scene when Billy is stabbing him and he's like, you can hear in his voice that he's right. like getting faint and he's like, you went too deep, man. Like you, you hurt me, man. I'm fucked up. Like it's so upsetting to me in this weird visceral way of just mm-hmm. like, I don't know, having this mutual trust between them and like having that betrayed. And he's just like in too deep at this point. And he even says like, my parents are going to be so yes! pissed. Like <laughs> I know. it's, uh, it's I'm such getting a, a little woozy here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so good. Also, like, one of the things about slashers is you either have, like, really great iconic teen characters or, like, hilariously lampooned uh, right. teen characters. But I love the Scream teens so much because, like, there's such a big difference between the Nightmare on Elm Street teens and the Scream teens. And it's such mm. a, like, Wes Craven thing 
to understand that those teens are so much different than they used to be because they now have like the 24-hour news cycle they now have had years of horror movies under their belt versus the nightmare kids so they're significantly more desensitized they make like fucked up jokes and they want to like go see gore and like talk about this shit and i think that's why gail weathers is such a good (laughs) addition because gail is the difference between those teenagers they have someone like gail on television that like kind of numbs them to a lot of this stuff and in general i i i love the gail character so goddamn much that i love any opportunity so thank you uh to just watch that person unfold she's the epitome of 90s tabloids Like, Mm -hmm. uh, that was when it was really starting to take off where it was like, you know, Britney Spears couldn't go anywhere, not being documented at all times, you know, which, Mm -hmm. which totally peaked. I think, I mean, it still happens, but like actively having that much paparazzi out at all times, I think like hit in like 2000, I don't know, like five or, but this was like the start of it where journalism, you know, before this, you had to have some type of rules Right. Mm -hmm. And she clearly doesn't like that's why I think it catches Sydney off guard is like this woman has no like she doesn't care. You know, some of the the rules of and I'm working on a show or two past shows with uh, journalists right now. One was for Netflix about journalism Mm -hmm. and just wild how much it's it's changed. And so to me, it's just funny that she shows that shift of like, you know, they didn't used to do that and asking about her dead mom and like, you know, getting into places that you're not supposed to. And um, there was just kind of a, uh, I don't know, uh, not politeness, but um, like when they would do cover, like that complete was out the door. So that was really Mm -hmm. fascinating to watch. Like this was when tabloids were really hitting their, their peak of sensational um, news. Yeah. Right. And just like the fact that like, Gail gets punched in the face mm-hmm. uh, essentially the first time you see her because she's overstepping. She's, you know, essentially bullying this high school kid to try to like get a scoop. She gets punched in the face and totally rolls with it as just like, oh, like occupational hazard, which is like such a such a shocking thing, but also so telling of, you know, yeah, like what that job had become at that point yeah. in time. Yeah. Like I, I uh at one point my my only like interaction with like crazy paparazzi was like I was uh, working with someone who at the time was like in a particular spotlight. So they they were leaving a theater and there was like a huge crowd of paparazzi. And I was kind of tasked with like, okay, just try to like keep everything under control and like, let me get to my car safely. I had only seen, you know, this type of person in movies and television. And I was like, yeah, there's like an understood thing where they're going to try to snap a picture and I'm going to be like, hey, hey, stop. (laughs) And as soon as the person walked out of the door, the first guy with a camera physically grabbed me, threw me to the ground and stepped over me. Is that wild? Yeah, I was like, oh, we're we're just in a fist fight. Like, this (laughs) this is insane. And like, yeah, I feel like Gail is the, you know, kind of like archetype of that character. But like, the new media. Yeah, the new so, media. Yeah, so this came out in 1996, and the thing that I was thinking of was Gary Hart, the presidential candidate Gary Hart, who had to drop mm-hmm. out in 1988 because they were, you know, found out that he had an affair and were kind of like, that's when the news was, stay, like, hanging out in his trash, and, like, those were things that mm-hmm. were considered off, off uh, limits, you know? And so it was just funny that as that started the end of the 80s, beginning of the 90s, then we had, you know, to us, it's it's familiar like that's how we see journalists and and paparazzi and whatever but that actually wasn't as 
bad as it used to be. Um, so anyway, so yeah, I found her, her, and, and of course all those like cover, like her doing her book and you could just see it at the supermarket, you know, like, like when mm-hmm. we were growing up in the nineties, all of those like, you know, tell alls type of things. And it was just like such a product of its time where now that we have social media 24 seven, not that people don't do that cause they do, but it's just such a different world. We get access to everyone at all times, you know, so yeah. yeah, we don't need that person hiding in the dumpster anymore because a lot of the times that person's just like, find out on Cameo. Right. Like, <laughs> no, 100%. Like, now we can see Chrissy Teigen's kitchen every day and, like, what's happening in her life. You don't need to hide out in her trash to get pictures of her kids. She posts her kids 24-7. So it's just, like, such a different world. But, yeah, so I, I agree. I think that's a really comedic character. Obviously, obviously um, Officer, I always want to call him Officer Doofy. What's his real name? <laughs> well, that's uh, because in they, in scary movies, Officer Doofy. Right. They um, they call him they call him Dewey. Dewey, Officer real, Dewey. He like at one point tells Gail like they call him Dewey, but his real name is something else. Like Dewey's a nickname, and I forget what his real name is. It's like Dilbert or something unfortunate. Yeah, he well, he says Dwight. it one time. Dwight. Dwight. Wow. There it is. Yeah. Because wow. then Gail's like, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. yeah, David Arquette. And um, of course, this was their, you know, their meeting there when they, mm-hmm. you know, ended up dating and getting married and being him and Courtney Cox. So And there, there is an undeniable chemistry yeah. on screen. Yeah, like every scene cute. that they're in, you're like, ah, yeah. And they got that like little meet cute roll and kiss into each other scene, which is extremely right. cute. Yeah. Um, I have been a longtime fan of just like, every iteration of Gail's reporter hair as we just continue going on into Scream. And I legit cannot wait to see what it looks like uh, in the future. But when I was a teenager, the like person that I desperately wanted to have hair like wasn't Sydney, even though now I'm just like, how does she get those perfect wisps and that little right. ponytail? Right. I wanted to be Tatum so goddamn bad. <laughs> I wanted the little hair flip. At one point I considered blonde and my mother said absolutely not. Like every single thing that Tata Tatum is in in this movie, I think is just basically what like Instagram baddie is dressed like now. Yeah. Tatum was ahead of her time. A hundred percent. Also like her sixties vibe. That like yeah. skirt and top and yeah. I mean, she's definitely the bad girl in it. And I feel like you always have that. You have the like virgin and you have the bad girl. Mm-hmm. Um, like super sexy uh, teenage girl that everyone wants to be and look like. Um, I did think it was funny that they, because you know, John Carpenter never meant for uh, Laurie Stroud, Jamie Lee character's character in um, Halloween to have a commentary about virginity. Yeah. Like, I know that was something that he was very adamant that everyone picked up yeah. on. And it was like, no, I don't feel that way. And so I do think it's funny that, you know, Jamie Kennedy's character pointed that out. Um, and, you know, Sydney ends up losing her virginity and still lives. So they did out, you know, outdo yeah. that trope. But it is just funny how... Um, you know, Vanessa, one of my one of the movies I like is It Follows. And I think yeah. people also feel the same way about It Follows, where to technically a sexually transmitted ghost. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which I find, I think it's more just like a intimacy. It's like, you know, you have to get super intimate with someone in mm-hmm. order to to transfer this thing on, which makes it even more sinister. Um, but people kind of took that away from it. And I don't think that the creators meant for it to be a commentary on sleeping with random people. But, you know. It, those are just fascinating conversations to me about sex and horror. 
Right. Well, I feel like I, I read It Follows, uh, like you said, intimacy. I, I feel like there's, uh, in addition to the, the sinister element of like when they when they understand that this will be transferred and it becomes a choice, like, and it's yeah. so much more of a betrayal. But I think also just like the inherent vulnerability of yes. intimacy, you know, of just like mm-hmm. leaving yourself exposed to this person and like that, you know, then puts you at this risk. I, I feel like it's more commentary on that than just like, oh, if you're a virgin, you're safe. Well, right. and like, a lot of the stuff that we picked up on in terms of just, like, oh, the virgins get to live is, like, when the Hayes Code was a thing that was established, like, the thing, the industry that took the biggest hit was the horror movie industry, um, because literally everything about it is, you know, sex, sex and violence, which is, like, immediately censored, and it was, like, specifically if somebody was a, like, sexualized ne'er-do-well character, they could be depicted if something bad happened to them. Right. Like, if they, like, had mm-hmm. consequences yes. that happened to them. They had to show, like, a comeuppance for Yeah, it. they yeah. had to show, like, some kind of comeuppance, um, and this was, like, something really big during, like, the Hayes Code being enacted in Hollywood to where it was just kind of, like, a code that was imprinted in all of us in media where it's like, well, that happened to her because she was sexualized because that's how much mm-hmm. was cranked out to where like, it, once you get to like, you know, um, Bob Clark in black Christmas, who's just like, I want like actualized women um, and like, see it starting to go forward and like other early slashers with like your Cravens and your carpenters. Those were things that were like still red, but like, even then a lot of those girls still weren't like your goody two shoes right even though we right. like we want to read it that way but like nancy wasn't really a goody two shoes and laurie like maybe we got that a little bit in the first movie but everything onward isn't the right. case right right and like laurie i feel like i always read rather than like this very like chaste like you know goody two shoes character as just like She's got other shit on her mind, you know, like that's just like not her main focus right now. But like, it doesn't really read to me as like, oh, like she's a Girl Scout. She never looked down on Annie at any point for being sexual. No, she's just like her focus is elsewhere right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Same with uh, Sydney, too. I mean, it's really, you know, she personally wasn't ready, but her friend, you know, I I think that's so important to have like they those are really strong uh, women who were super close you know, mm-hmm. she was super close with Tatum and it just is like, you know, I'm not ready to do this, but like it's she's fine that her friend does. And like, mm-hmm. that's just we just need more of that, I think. And yeah. like the representation of women being friends and not, you know, being pit against each other. Like she's a slut and I'm not, you know, I'm above her. Like, I just love I love that. I love that you guys picked that out from these characters. Yeah. And I feel like like. Uh, Rose McGowan's character Tatum is her name yeah I, I'm so bad with the, the names but uh, yeah I feel like Tatum is like a very cool and likable character as well like not only is she not shamed by the other characters but just from like a viewer standpoint like her confrontation with the killer like she very much has the upper hand through most of it you know it's like the she gets stuck in the garage door and like killed in a really ridiculous way with the garage door but like until then you know she's doing a very good job of like fighting back and getting away and at no point you know as the viewer like are are you made to feel like she's like a stupid character or like oh yeah right. she's just you know she gets her licks in yeah. she fucks him up with a bottle like she like ducks and he like rolls yeah. over her and you're like rooting for her you know and i yeah I, she's I think also that's a great, like, super portrayal. protective of sydney yeah and and so she like pushes people around she gets people away from her um yeah i, I really love their dynamic uh and wish that we could see more of that in more horror movies. 
I think that's why I loved and like Craven does that a lot. I think that's yeah. why I loved Dream Master so much because Dream Master is just a bunch of girls that are all very like down to support each other and they're all very different. Like you have your super nerdy one and your bad girl one and like your sexy one and they're all very tight with each other and they all like see each other as valid. And that's one of the things I loved so much about like a Wes Craven teenager is they are far less like backbiting and like jealous and uh like they they lift each other up in a way to like their deaths are tragic because it's not like a dispensable teen they're right. all friends that give a shit about each other yeah, yeah yeah no i i do love like all of the characters in scream they're all like great as both the archetypes and the tropes of slasher films but also like advancing each of them and my i think my favorite aspect of Scream in terms of like how it's aged and like watching it now. Uh, I, I feel like when I originally saw it at like a drive-in, you know, like opening week or whatever, uh, I like loved it as a slasher flick and was like, oh yeah, it's like a slasher movie that knows that it's a horror movie and that's very fun. Uh, but I didn't originally take away from it the motives or lack thereof of the killers and like how believable and terrifying they are and I think because at the time it came out and I was you know a bit younger I was maybe not as aware the way that I am now of like the terrifying evil of like a bored suburban white kid <laughs> you know, just like the potential for horrifying cruelty from just like right. a, a, a white high school kid with some money and like no support system <laughs> I don't know who's just like yeah yeah I don't I don't really have a motive, man. I just, I just like doing this. And like the, the Matthew Lillard thing of just like, I don't know, peer pressure, <laughs> you know, right. and just like, it's, it's so chilling in a way that like, I think I originally read as like comedic. That's like, oh yeah, they're playing their parts because they're in a horror movie. It's all, you know, kind of like subversion at times bordering on parody. But as an adult now, I read it as like, oh, God, these are really believable psychopaths. Yeah. And it's so upsetting. Like, the, these are your school shooters who just instead watched a lot of slasher flicks. And Billy was the first incel. <laughs> yeah. He literally was, blamed Sydney's mom, which is so such a fascinating thing to do. I mean, and also very misogynistic and horrible. Um, but like blaming Sydney's mom for their affair as opposed to blaming his dad. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Takes two to tango, sir. Um, but yeah, he's definitely an incel. <laughs> no, exactly. Oh, uh, they both hell are. Uh, one of the things that I think is iconic that we haven't talked about is Ghostface. Yeah, let's get into Ghostface. So iconic. I mean, again, I know that we keep comparing uh, Carpenter and Craven, them being friends, but like you have someone behind a mask who is not mm -hmm. talking, who is terrifying just by their movements. I don't think people fully understand the amount of work uh, you have to do as an actor. Uh, body work that you have to do to be terrifying when no one can see your mouth and yep. you can't say anything. Um, and so the scream, it's based on scream, like the iconic uh, scream right, painting, right. right? Oh, the Edward Munch painting? Yes, that's yeah. what Ghostface ghost uh, mask is, is based on. But just such a smart, 
extremely brilliant move because then you saw those masks everywhere. When you see it, you know it's about Scream. Anytime Mm -hmm. you're at the Halloween store, like marketing, merchandise, like all of that, like it's just so iconic. And that's really hard to do. When you think of a lot of scary movies, they don't necessarily have... Like I said, Halloween, obviously we have Michael Myers, very famous mask, uh, but you don't have too many like that necessarily. And so to me, that's really so brilliant to make something, to have it be, you know, in this, in this decade, in this time period where you could just bank on that um, and have it be terrifying. You know, the face looks like a melted, you know, ghost, essentially ghost face. Um, but I just, I love that. I love all the decisions with that it's so good and like they do something really smart where several times they establish at the beginning this is a costume that exists you could buy it at a halloween store any could anybody could buy right. it right it's very cheap yes. they like show teenagers like fucking around with it in the hallway so they like clearly establish anyone can be wearing this anyone mm-hmm. can own this costume always be on your toes you don't know who's in the suit and like it's so fucking smart because like you kind of see it in the second halloween where like some other kids wearing a michael myers costume mm. um like ben tramer has got like the white mask on but like rest this in is peace, ben tramer rest in peace uh set on fire by dr loomis uh but like it's so smart to be like this is a dime of dozen and this could like easily be something on your own home turf like somebody Mm -hmm. could just be buying a halloween costume and this is it it's so good well and that led to sydney's uh paranoia right Mm -hmm. people were calling her people were pranking her people like you know i i I just can't get over the insensitivity i i I know teenagers are horrible but i there's no world in which like i think someone is two of your classmates are murdered and then you show up in a scream like those kids did running down the hallway i was like honestly like when i when i consider like the bullies that I had in high school, I'm like, oh, no, no, that's that's t- a teenager. That's absolutely a teenage <laughs> boy. Wild. Uh, I, d- I do love uh, the principal, uh, Henry Winkler, who's, like, kind of your, like, red herring for a minute because he, like, seems mm-hmm. really intense and sinister and you and see him like, like stabbing at teenagers yeah and you see him like trying on the mask and he's like oh these kids they're all terrible i love it because i know that he's he's like presented that way to be the red herring so it seems like oh the crazed principal he's the one murdering teenagers but also his reactions are so valid he brings those kids into his office and he's like you oh, are yeah. horrifying you are monstrous children you were immediately expelled <laughs> like <laughs> it's such a shitbag thing to do god i love henry winkler and like yeah just doing the drew barrymore thing where it's like pick another big celebrity off him quick so that you keep doubting what your decisions are mm-hmm gosh that like what's your favorite scary movie oh. iconic line when you say that everyone knows what you're talking about um yeah it's just, there are just so many scenes that will forever stand out in horror uh, that I think is so cool to make something that is just that, you know, decades later and generations later, you know, people are still talking about. And they want to get, like, close to that. And, like, especially the creation of Sydney, because whenever you talk about slashers, you have to talk about your final girls, you know, you have to talk about your Lauras and your Nancys. But I think one of the reasons Sydney is so beloved um, is her handling of like every situation from go like the how fast she's willing to not 
just like defend herself but like fuck with the enemy mm-hmm. like from the beginning where she goes outside and she's like oh you can see me and she starts like picking her nose and she's mm-hmm. like what am i doing now to the end to where when she gets the phone and like calls back mm-hmm. and she's just like what's your favorite scary movie yeah like sydney isn't just down to defend herself she's down to do some petty retaliatory shit well and and something i love is like she doesn't she doesn't do the horror movie thing of like making the bad choice and she even like calls it out where she's like yeah and then they they run upstairs when they should be running out the front door and then of course like moments later you have her doing that but it's because like he is in the house and the door is locked she can't get it open in time and like has to make this split decision and it's like you know a fun little bit of like lampshading where she's like oh only you know idiots in horror movies do that and then is forced to do it but like she doesn't make that choice for the most part. Like when Billy shows up and drops the cell phone, that's the moment in so many other slasher movies that the audience is like, it's him. He's obviously the killer. And she doesn't notice. But the fact that she's like, yo, you're the killer and calls the police immediately. And is like, I think it's him. Like does not matter that he is her boyfriend. She's just like, yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. Everyone's a suspect in Sydney's world. Yeah, Yeah. Which I love. Like I, I said there are like two scenes in the film that really, like genuinely affect me like as moments of horror and one is you know uh matthew lillard and uh i forget his character's name but you know billy loomis like stabbing each other unveiling their plan and just being really stew yes stew and billy loomis uh but the other is that cold open with drew barrymore and Mm -hmm. i feel like you know that that scene is just so harrowing and and upsetting when she's on the phone and like her mom is Mm -hmm. listening to her die and like when she tries to scream but she can't because like her vocal cords have been severed really really horrific scene and it's also like it's this cold open and it's the last time that the movie will feel like a traditional horror movie it opens with drew barrymore drew barrymore being like the protagonist in a classic slasher film, you know, being like the babysitter at home alone Mm -hmm. who like flirts with a stranger on the phone. And then she's like dating the football star. And it feels very much like, yeah, here's your 80s slasher. And that's where it's like really scary and upsetting. And then after that, they take pains to establish like, this isn't a scary movie. You know, like they say that at like moments in the, in the film and they're like, no, this isn't a slasher flick. Like this is real life. And so they're making more believable decisions. The killer stumbles and falls down. Like mm-hmm. it, it, there's such a tonal shift after that opening. And I feel like it's so deliberate and I, I love it. It's so good. I also just love it. her. I just have to give a shout out to her double doors, which I think of all the time. You know how she can like open her closet door and then it, it like when you know yeah. when her dad's trying to get in and then the killer mm-hmm. like I just oh I just think of those all the time. Anytime I'm in a room that has something like that where like my I have a closet like that by my front door where you can like open the closet door and so if you try to open the front door it won't open anymore and I don't know why. It's just every <laughs> I always bring up her double doors cuz I just no. remember them. It's such a good, like, small, yeah. smart thing that it feels like something that believably a teenager would figure out and be like, here's how I get privacy in my bedroom. Here's how I stop my dad from barging in. But then it also... It's yeah, foreshadowing, becomes... yeah. Yeah, That she's going to so use good. it later when the killer's trying to get in. Yeah, it's great. The double foreshadow of Don't Fear the Reaper. <laughs> yes. <laughs> she's macking on Billy Loomis, who, by the way... um, Unfortunate that his name is Skeet, but my God, every time I watch like The Craft or um, or Scream, I'm just like, why wasn't I attracted to Billy Loomis then? He was cute as hell. 
He was he was a more Might attractive Banks. He was a more attractive Johnny Depp, honestly. Yeah. He was yeah. definitely supposed to be Johnny Depp vibes. Um I think it was very interesting that they set him up as the killer mm-hmm. in the beginning and then he ended up being the killer. Like I just find that fascinating because they didn't have to do that. No. Um, but they were still able to keep you sus- like you know, wait a second. Is it because I mean, when he comes in, yeah. and the, the way he looks, the way he acts, mm-hmm. like he just has killer written on him. Exactly. Then, like he's got the crazy eyes and he's always yeah. like kind of tilting his head and doing that thousand yard stare. Like he looks unhinged the whole film. Yeah. But you're still there's uh, Wes is still able to make you think like, well, actually, maybe that's too obvious, you know? <laughs> well, so. and, and something that I love is like, yeah, it relies so heavily on those horror tropes while also like firmly stating again and again, like the story that's being told right now is not a slasher flick. Like this is a real world thing where two bored kids start murdering people. And so like, there's the scene in the video store where, uh, (laughs) you know, the, the horror geek character straight up outlines the entire plot and twist ending. He's like, no, her dad is a red herring. He's going to show up again in the third act, but he's definitely not the killer. Billy is the killer for sure. It's always like the most obvious guy <laughs> and is like really <laughs> outlining the way this would actually happen. And then it does. And like he, he straight up calls other characters red herrings. And when you're watching it, you're like, ah, that's fun. But then it's, it's just accurate. Like the movie tells you exactly what it's going to do. And it still surprises you. Like, it, yeah. it's still a twist, which but I But you love. also believe that he would be mad enough that when he asked who was the killer on Friday the 13th, he'd be like, <laughs> God damn it, it wasn't Jason. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So I, again, so giddy with this pick, but it also left us with the very difficult choice of what the hell do we pair with Scream? What do we pair with something that is both so aware of the genre, but also, like, changed the industry thereafter something that's like so distilled slasher and horror and we went through a lot of things yeah there was there was a list uh at one point we were thinking of mystery of chess boxing because there's a character in it which is the ghost face killer yeah. but then there wouldn't be like that much else that right. we can hinge it's on it entirely just that there's a ghost face killer which also i do want to say uh you mentioned like don't fear the reaper playing when billy loomis is introduced this viewing was my first time realizing that the the generic name of the costume when it's like packaged from the Halloween store is father death. And I have never like in all my viewings of this film realized that in addition to like, uh, you know, echoing Munch's uh, scream, like the painting that the costume is a grim reaper. It's like Mm, a skeletal face with a hood and a black robe Mm -hmm. that he's father death. And so like, don't fear the reaper. And then the killer is a grim reaper costume. And I've never realized that Ghostface is a reaper, but Yeah. 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 Anyways, he'd just just be reaping. But Elijah, (laughs) what did we pick for our pairing for Scream? Uh, For our feature presentation, we chose. Kung Fu Hustle. Yeah. Now, have you seen Kung Fu Hustle before? No, no. I was very. That's so exciting. I was very uh, happy that you had picked this because I just I learned a lot and I have a lot of things to say about it. Oh, hell yeah. Tell us a little bit what you thought about it. Oh, my gosh. Well, it was very comedic. It was mm-hmm. super comedic. Like, honestly, some of the jokes, I'm like, oh, I wish I had come up with that or I want to put that in there. <laughs> like, it just, I guess I, I understand why you paired it with this because uh, Scream is very aware of its tropes and, mm-hmm. and uses them. And I feel like Kung Fu Hustle does as well. It's very aware, self-aware. And so it kind of is making fun of some of those. But um, 
just so like one of my favorite scenes is when, um, I'm forgetting his name, but when he's like pointing out people to fight, it was like, you there, and <laughs> yes. you look little. And then it's like a little kid who like stands up and is like, you know, like super tall or super buff. And like, that's just such, so funny. Um, it was extremely comedic. Like I was, I was shocked actually. Uh, no, I, I would almost I love- rate it as a comedy or at least an action mm-hmm. comedy. Oh, definitely. It's for sure. Like, yeah, martial arts comedy. There's so much slapstick in it. Like, I I love some of those visual gags. And my favorite, well, I think my, my favorite visual gag is is that one where he's pointing out people in the crowd. And it's like an old man who has this really buff body and then a child with a buff body. But uh, one that I just have such a soft spot for is when the uh, the landlady is chasing him. And they're both running cartoonishly fast. Yes. And then they like are doing ridiculous like tricks in the air. But she jumps over a truck, he slides under it, and she, like, smacks flat on a billboard. And I love it because it's, like, beat for beat a, a Looney Tunes cartoon. Right. It's Roadrunner and Wiley Coyote and Wiley Coyote, like, smacking into something and, you know, just being flattened like that. And I love, like, the audacity to just, like, recreate that shot for shot and be like, yeah, I'm, I'm making Looney Tunes <laughs> to, just, to just say it. I love it. But, uh, yeah, it's it's... Very, uh, very much in that space that I think Scream also lives in of being something that clearly has a lot of love for the genre that it's in, while also like at times being a parody of that genre. You know, it's like it's not too proud to be like, these are the ridiculous things about kung fu movies, while still trying to make like a really good kung fu movie in earnest, you know, and I feel like Scream does that with the slasher genre. I'm sure it had homages to other horrors, but uh, Kung Fu Hustle did have a very uh, one scene that was clearly for The Shining, which was the blood coming in. And and when I watched it, I was like, oh, I should have told them The Shining. (laughs) But I do think it still lines up with Scream more in that it's, you know, very self-aware. But it did have that iconic moment. And it just reminds me of how much our medias influence each other. Like, I love Mm -hmm. when I see... um, other artists from other countries that are heavily influenced by our iconic directors and vice versa. Um, And so I thought that was really cool to have the shining moment in Kung Fu Hustle. Yeah. Yeah. And I I feel like even uh, on like a more like meta kind of narrative level, uh, like in, in the world of Kung Fu Hustle, like uh, Stephen Chow's character, you know, like the, the main guy who's kind of just like this, is down on his luck ne'er-do-well who's trying to join a gang and then you know eventually becomes this this kung fu hero he very much was a person that was like influenced by this media of like you know stories of kung fu masters becoming these like legendary heroes and is sold this this kind of cheap lie that's like oh you're a natural you're destined to be the chosen kung fu hero and then you know is so uh angered and kind of like burnt out when that doesn't hold true for him and I feel like yeah just like the influence of media on a character is kind of like explored in both of them and you know in Kung Fu Hustle it's uh these these like Kung Fu novels and stories and like secret scrolls that uh are such a crucial part of like every classic Kung Fu movie and you have a character who's influenced by those and eventually like angered and like turns to a a life of petty crime and in in Scream you know you've got Billy and and Stu saying like, oh yeah, like, you know, horror movies don't create killers. They make killers more creative, Mm. but they're both, you know, like a product of these influences in different ways. And I kind of love like a horror movie that's about 
characters inspired by horror movies and a kung fu movie about like a kid inspired by kung fu stories like it's it's a fun little parallel Vanessa did didn't the landlady remind you of a Latina mom a hundred percent especially she pulls With off the, the slipper yep yep she's like smacks him um mm-hmm. it's so funny that that transcends you know different cultures I just she she like needs her own movie it was the so slipper good. is universal yes no. Elijah and I are actually talking about her a little bit because, like, she's captivating. From beginning to end, like, you don't realize that you're going to, like, fall in love with her the way that you do when she initially comes out. And also the fact that that cigarette never leaves her mouth. (laughs) 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 Just, like, that actress, no matter how many times she takes a tumble or who she's talking to, even when she kisses her husband. Yeah. It, like, scoots to the side of her mouth and she kisses him but doesn't lose the cigarette. It's so good. It's amazing. And, like, so I had to look up more about her because I was just, like... Who is she? Who is this amazing actress who's, like, uh, an older woman who, like, gets to be in this great kung fu role? And Elijah and I actually found that uh, she uh, studied in um, the opera house in Kowloon. I'm trying to remember the... Like the Peking Opera House? The Peking Opera House in Kowloon that uh, Jackie Chan and Sammo Hung trained wow. under. And as they well had as, this... like, Yun Bao, mm-hmm. like, I think Corey Yuan. There were, like, a, a lot of dudes that became, like, the face of, like, Hong Kong martial arts cinema all kind of wow. came from the same troupe. And they, like, yeah, performed together, did acrobatics together, and, you know, eventually went she on She had to... the same master that they did. Yeah. Like, the same masters, the same trainers. But being a woman, she didn't get a lot of the same early recognition that these other dudes got. Like, right, she wanted yeah. to set out to be a stunt woman and like she had worked on a few movies i believe she even worked on like a bond movie and like a lot of these dudes were either like getting their own movies or kind of like um both the guy that played the initial like ex uh gang's boss a lot of the guys in this movie um played bruce lee doubles or they would like play mm. bruce lee and bruce exploitation movies yeah yeah uh, the the beast who's like the you know right. super deadly killer that's right. like locked in the asylum or whatever he was in a ton of bruce exploitation stuff where he would yeah he was just like bruce lee clone who was of course like a super talented and skilled and like charismatic dude but like most of his career was imitating bruce lee <laughs> which was kind of absurd and like a lot of these dudes were able to get stunt work like this, but she couldn't get anything. So eventually, like, after getting a few gigs, she was like, all right, well, I'm, like, I'm retired from kung fu. I'm retired from, like, this type of work. And she actually went with a different actress to an audition. Like, she wasn't even auditioning. She went as, like, moral support for a different actress. And the director spotted her, like liked her style, recognized where she was from, and was like, hey, I have this part in this movie I think you'd be great for. And she didn't actually want to do it. Um, She said no several times. She's like, I've been retired for 20 years. This isn't my thing anymore. Like, you know, this, this, this industry just, like, wasn't for me. And I guess he was, like, very persistent and, like, bugged her into doing it. And then she ended up taking on this incredible role that, like, revamped her career. Yeah. She got in a bunch of stuff after that. And the same thing happened for the Beast. Yeah, yeah. Because the Beast, he ended up being in like It Man with Donnie Yen. Uh, He was in a bunch of stuff like, yeah, kind of through the 2000s. And I feel like similarly to uh, this resurgence in uh, in horror that Scream kind of brought in, you know, where Scream was like this mainstream, you know, summer blockbuster kind of hit that like brought back this new wave of slashers. Uh, Kung Fu Hustle, you know, kind of kind of broke out in this way that like 
all of yeah all of like the old masters and kung fu hustle were previously like martial arts stars or like yeah had worked as like choreographers and stuntmen and stuff and it like yeah gave a shot in the arm to a lot of their careers but also yeah just like brought uh, a lot of that like classic sort of like 90s uh kung fu stuff back into the spotlight in the west you know in the way that like it really hadn't been since jackie chan had like you know peaked and then you know been sort of on the decline in like the mid 2000s it like really like revitalized that like slapstick physical comedy you know hong kong martial arts stuff which i love you know i was just looking up some of the references to be sure because there's some that i like couldn't there's some that i can nail but like some that i wasn't familiar because like there's the spider-man reference because that movie had just happened in 2002 and then the harpists are blues brothers reference um, Wait, are they the Blues Brothers? They're the Blues Brothers. Mm, that makes sense. Um, it makes a lot of sense. You are right. It, oh, because they they have like sunglasses and the mm-hmm. and the hat, right? Yes. And then you are right. He was making a direct homage to Looney mm-hmm. Tunes. Nice. Um, they make a reference to Karate Kid, but this one's for Danny. Um, a lot of the like insane power up fight styles are a reference. Yeah, to Yeah, I could Ball tell. Z. Like it was. I, I don't want to always reference everything to DBZ, even though it's tattooed on me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Wait, you have you have yeah, a DBZ I have Goku tattoo? And Vegeta on my arm. You can kind of that see rules. it here a little. It's the. Oh, that's so sad. Oh, that's so good. Adore (laughs) them. One of the funny things that that I love, which um, Dragon Ball Z has moved away from, uh, or moved towards, because uh, in DBZ, very famously, there when they're powering up, they get super, super buff. Uh, But what I find funny, uh, you know, and then in Super, what they ended up doing is now Goku, like when he's like thinner, like it basically is saying you don't necessarily have, don't underestimate somebody who is. Um, who doesn't look the way that you think a fighter would. And that's what I feel like with the beast, right? When they see him, it's just like this old guy, you know, and he's not even, he's not like looking yeah. like Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's like roided out. And so um, I always find that really fascinating in Kung Fu movies is that they don't have that body. They don't have like typically, you know, sometimes they can, but typically like over on our side in America, when they were getting like just roided up to hell and like all those bodybuilding, you know, things were super in where they were like spray tanned and like, you know, they looked wild, like four chicken nuggets, like glued together, <laughs> essentially. American, American gladiators. gladiators. Yeah. But over <laughs> on this side, they were still like, when you talk about Bruce Lee, like he was very lean. Right. And like, but that's not seen as being powerful, but yet that's actually mm-hmm. like more powerful. You know, it's just kind of saying that they're, so, they're so efficient with their energy and their muscles that they don't actually have to be like that actually being completely roided out and huge and massive is actually detrimental to your ability to move quickly and to move around your yeah. enemy and to, you know, subvert your enemy. And so that's something that they later ended up doing in DBZ is, which a lot of people argued about was they made Goku like leaner and, and it was fascinating because Akira Toriyama was like, oh no, this actually makes him more efficient um or in so many words kind of said that but uh that's what i like about these films is that the person who whether it's the landlady or you know any of these people that just they look like normal people and they can absolutely kick your ass uh and so right right it's more mental yeah it's it's more more all of the internal work that they Mm -hmm. have done to increase their power and increase their uh 
abilities as opposed to like our our fake version of what strength looks like you know like i think that that's really right right which is a lot of like vanity muscle and just like lifting the heaviest thing yeah yeah yeah. also i i had to straight up move away from the microphone (laughs) because i was laughing so hard at the idea of the four chicken nuggets glued together to make a man i just started like imagining action heroes in configurations of chicken nuggets and it broke me like yeah a bunch of meatballs all taped together is what american american gladiator and i'm not saying that they don't have that you know and like obviously the joke of him like pointing out the old man he comes out and he's all buff but like for the most part though you don't see like with kung fu like you don't actually they're not very you know they 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 have normal uh body types i would say for the most part right it's yeah yeah, it's like a practical lean muscle and it's more you know it's 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 skill skill and training like you said yeah yeah and it also like does come in different shapes because like you have the landlady and then you have someone who like a she had worked with before and b someone that provided additional choreography sam ohung who like is not your like you know your your kung fu mm-hmm. body type idea right right um like you know he he's a little bit taller than a lot of the dudes that you see and he's like a little bit like rounder like almost closer to like what people think like a greek athlete looks like right where he's right. got like a little bit of like a round tummy he's kind and of like, like strong bar- arms he's like mm-hmm. barrel chested but mm-hmm. it's all very like muscular and so he's not yeah he's not the schwarzenegger he's not the stallone but he's also not like a jackie chan type he's not like super lean muscle and it's it's so fascinating to like see the way he moves because he is so acrobatic and so fast and so powerful. But like, yeah, is is not the body type that you would conjure when you think of like a fighter, you know, or like a martial arts master. Yeah, and like one thing that I love just about doing this podcast in general and that these and these two genres um, is a horror movie can be, be made by literally anyone. Like, you do not need to go to film school. You do not need to have rich parents. Like, horror is a genre that could be made by any, like, scrappy little nobody if you want it bad enough. Because, like, no, even if the budget is low, you still have something good on your hands. And kung fu is a genre that, like, values the scrappy right. little nobody. The idea that, like, a hero can come from anywhere. And, like, they go together so well because just in general, if you if you love the underdog, um, whether it be, like, Sydney or a dude who, like, literally needs to get the shit punched out of him to unleash his chi... <laughs> It could come from anywhere, which I love that detail, by the way. That dude has no training montage at all. He just gets beaten so much that it, like, unlocks something within him. I, I do love that, that kind of throwaway line where they're like, oh, man, who knew that the beast would un- unlock his true Hilarious. potential? And they're like, yeah. That is like a saying. <laughs> he just comes out with funny super... That they, if they get, the more they get beat yeah. up, if they can... It's like what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. That's literally Saiyans. Right. If, anytime they get close to yeah, death and they the... don't actually die, they become more strong. It's fascinating. Which I I do wonder why that wasn't like more incorporated into Vegeta's training when he was like hardcore trying to catch up with Goku. Like why he wasn't having like allowing himself to be beaten nearly to death. I mean, technically like, he would, did. Would he that not work? was hospitalized. Like he, there's a whole episode where he did almost die and Bulma has to put him in the hospital. Like she's like by his hospital. I don't know if you remember that. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I, d- I don't actually. I don't. Which uh, how how did he uh, end up there? So there what was, was the... he was in the gravity chamber, like fighting all of the bots that she had made. This is in the three years when they're preparing for the androids when he's trying to turn Super Saiyan, and uh, he turns him up like as okay, high as sense. it can go, uh, and they totally like annihilate him, and the whole gravity chamber uh, collapses on top of him, and Bulma has to like save him and put him in a hospital bed. Uh, so he does actually many times get close to like almost dying. Um, okay. and then, All right. yeah, but, but yeah, it is true that they kind of, they kind of forget that it kind of reminds me of star Wars. Sometimes they forget their canon <laughs> and like, you know, right, add right. things and forget like, sh- shouldn't he be able to do this because it's like, Oh yeah. And then like, they remember like, you know, a year or two later <laughs> and, and they like use it as a plot hole. I mean, a plot like twist or whatever. Um, so Yeah. I love it. Now, before we figure out the name of this double feature, what are we getting at concessions? Because uh, we've, we've established that this works as a double feature. We would definitely like go see it if we saw it in a double, double feature. But, but what are we getting Vanessa, for Vanessa, can you guess? You know me so well. What do you think, in, in your history of knowing me and what I love, this is something oh. I love very much canonically and historically, what do you think that I would get, that you always make fun of me for? That I would, yes. Is it a bucket of meat? <laughs> <laughs> the second you said it, I was like, she's getting a bucket of meat. You she's know that I, would, I literally saw cats <laughs> and I ordered, because I can't, I can't have gluten. I'm sorry, yeah, so a bucket he, so of meat. What yeah, is I it, can't like, have gluten, are we talking about but like, I can't <laughs> have meat. So it's really hard for me to eat things. A lot of things have gluten in it and like a bunch of other allergies, but I can have meat. And right, so right. the bucket of meat comes from this story that I told. I mean, besides the fact that I'm always eating meat around Vanessa when we're out. But like um, I was actually at the airport and I was getting breakfast uh, and I couldn't have like the hash browns they put flour in and the eggs and like all this stuff. And so they had like sausage and a bunch of other meats. And I just asked like and they had this little bucket and I just asked if they could put it all in there. And so I kid you not, I was so smelly. I was sitting in the terminal, a pack terminal just eating like sausage and brat and like whatever it was just like all this meat <laughs> tur- like bacon and whatever else they could stick in there and so I literally actually Vanessa when I watched cats I went to see cats with some friends and again I can't have gluten so I ordered a, a a foot-long hot dog uh, and had it without the bun. So there's just a picture of me with a fork and a foot-long on it, and I'm just, like, eating it, watching cats. <laughs> um, I'm, yeah. And I've, like, definitely seen you eat yeah. meat buckets. <laughs> I love it. And actually, I'm going to show Elijah. Elijah, tell me, what's the second name that I have for Danny in my <laughs> cell phone over here? Uh, just... Pulling it up, I had it pulled up, and then I uh, accidentally closed it because I'm a huge Dorcas. Right there. What's what is it? <laughs> Danny Fernandez Love Meat it. Bucket. <laughs> One day I'm gonna like voice an animated character called Meat Bucket. I'm like. I, I love wait. the way it appears on her phone is like that's your job, <laughs> like that's your your title. You're the official Meat Bucket. So funny. All right. But I I like that because they are both. Pretty meaty films. Hilarious. <laughs> they both got a lot of meat. Uh, I was I was going to pitch uh, Neapolitan ice cream because there's an amazing scene where uh, uh, David Arquette's uh, Dewey character is talking to like the chief of police, and the chief is smoking and being like a grizzled old detective, and he's eating a strawberry ice cream cone with Love his it. baby face, 
And then there's a uh, in Kung Fu Hustle, they steal a vanilla and chocolate cone. So yes. between the two films, you get Neapolitan. So I, I'm gonna say a bucket of meat. Those and go Neapolitan well ice together. Cream. This is an indulgent ass meal. Yeah. I feel like bacon, <laughs> and I'm just looking for my picture of me eating a full blown like hot dog in in the middle of cats but um which i've done before like i would go to fat dog which is a restaurant that's um here in la and they have like 14 inch hot dogs and i always i always order like i would be with friends and everyone would just get a like a small bite and a drink like they're getting like a moscow mule and sweet potato fries and i or i would order two 14 inch hot dogs and just sit there quietly and eat them in front of everyone. Oh, um, I love it. Anyways. God, You're just holding was, it in your mouth like the landlady yes. with the cigarette. <laughs> there was a there was a time I was uh I was in Spain for a for a film festival, but at the time I had been living in Thailand for uh like a year, year and a half maybe. Uh, and was uh, was fighting out there. And so I was very much on, like, a fighter's diet. You know, it was a lot of, like, lean proteins and rice and, like, you know, not allowed to have, like, desserts and such. Uh, but also, like, didn't really have access to some of, like, Western comfort foods. So, for instance, I had not had a cheeseburger in a really long time. And I went to this festival in Spain, and it was a lot of, uh, like you know, like film folks who are there like working and networking and stuff. And we're at this burger place and everyone orders kind of like smaller, like appetizer type stuff because they're, you know, they're kind of working and they're, it's like a meeting. They don't want to just like go to town on a big cheeseburger. And I ordered like a half pound burger, ate the entire thing and then ordered a second one. And everyone at the table was horrified. <laughs> and I just, I, I felt so like, greasy but i was just like i, I can't stop i'm Aww, sorry two people that i love so dearly are big old meat buckets we're just a Vanessa, couple of I'm sent, i just sent them to you it looks like i have a cigar <laughs> we can we can tweet these out we'll tweet sorry, these out with this drop can we? it's gonna be <laughs> i look like i have a big hoagie i and... just cannot wait hilarious i I love the image of you as like like an old timey mob <laughs> boss just chowing down on a on a hot dog. <laughs> it's like nah, see. Oh my god, so good. Um, I'm thinking for the double feature name, uh, the Metaverse love double it. feature. I'm into that. I like it. All yeah. right, so for the Metaverse Metaverse double feature, uh, make sure you line up at concessions early <laughs> to get your meat bucket and the meat the meat buckets go out quick. They, they sell go out quick. quick. Uh, you might want to like come back for each flavor of the Neapolitan ice cream or you're just going to have soup at the end. Uh, Danny, thank you so much for being here. You're amazing as always. I love you. I love you. I love uh, you. Yeah. Um, should I plug my stuff? <laughs> I don't know. Oh. Yeah. Yes. Tell us where the people can um, find more I'm of you. Ms. Danny Fernandez. Please follow me. It's M-S-D-A-N-I-F-E-R-N-A-N-D-E-Z on both Twitter and Instagram uh, because I can't announce any of my stuff because all of production has been shut down. And so that's the only way that I get validation and friendship. So please follow me. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> And be nice to each other. Heck yeah. Please. Be nice to each other. And also, um, in following Danny, you not only get like pure, fantastic uh, Danny content, which is amazing, but you also mm-hmm. get Molly mm-hmm. content, uh, which is greatest yeah, my, dog in the my world. Very judgmental. She has a lot of different faces, but she's very judgmental yeah. um, dog. She's 13 and she reminds me of a golden girl. She just it has the most. <laughs> 
judging side eye. When I tell you, her side eye is iconic. She will look at you and be like, are you kidding me? Seriously, you woke She's yeah, a real she's Dorothy. like, you seriously woke up and chose that today? Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, she's hilarious, so. Love her to bits. Uh, you can find me under asnet at Ness Gritton, ass, under, I do have a lot of that, at Ness Gritton on all forms of social media, uh, hopefully getting that changed once I get that legal name changed, which is real hard in a panty. Uh, you can also find the pod under Kick Scream Pod on all forms of socials. We want to hear from you. We want to talk to you. We love hearing what movies you would have suggested instead, or in general, I love a live tweet constantly. Um, Elijah, where can the people find you? I'm at Elijah underscore pizza on Twitter. That's it. <laughs> that's it for the, that's it. That's, that's it. That's all I got. And uh, as always, please support your local movie theaters. A lot of them are having virtual screenings, and that's a way you can keep these small indie theaters open. Um, they're usually selling merch or gift cards because, in general, we want a place to go back to and check out the drive-ins in your area. They're fantastic. And as always, I love you. Bye. 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 Bye.